Good morning. Now, you guys are a little more livelier than um, first service. I like that. Well, we're in the dog days of summer, aren't we? <laughs> That's about the same response I got first service. <laughs> I kind of like days like this because it's just an average normal day, isn't it? Hmm? Unless you're celebrating a birthday or an anniversary or something like that. It's just another day. And uh, there's so many another days in the Bible, ordinary days. And so we're going to be looking at one of those this morning. It's an, an honor to share the word of God as Pastor David and the Hope Ride team are cycling across Africa on those little itty bitty seats. Aren't you glad it's them? And not you. We got you nice, comfortable ones out there. But uh, they finished day four today. And so a couple more days and they'll be in Zambia. But I want to just take a moment. Um, I can't believe we've been back. My family and I, we were in Africa for a month on sabbatical. We've been back now about three and a half weeks. And uh, it's actually wintertime over there. So I, you were suffering with the heat. Um, we were, you know, bundled up in sweatshirts and everything else. So, um, and we spent most of our time at Shakura. That's the South African ministry base for reaching a generation. We were given the use of the old original farmhouse and a car while we were there. When there were two ground rules, no ministry engagement and drive on the left side of the road. So we followed those, the letter of the law, made it back. We disconnected from social media. Man, if you haven't done that in a while, oh, you ought to try it. You'll go nuts the first few days, you know, like an addict, like I got, I got to look. But um, we changed our numbers. We had South African numbers. No telemarketers in South Africa. Hallelujah. Awesome. But time was spent with family and our South African friends and reading books and taking long walks in the bush filled with the Lord and, and uh, the wildlife. And resting in a, a foreign place, completely out of... Um, uh, I won't say our comfort zone because we've been there so many years now, but um, just away from everything that's familiar. Um, gave me time to think, to pray, to listen without distraction. That is until the day they captured a six-foot Egyptian spitting cobra in the guava tree outside the farmhouse. Somebody forgot to tell it it was winter and supposed to be hibernating. But that uh, cobra reminded me that I am a sojourner here. <laughs> and this world is not my home. But as I read scripture, the seminal issues of faith, hope, love, forgiveness continue to emerge. And the one thing that really stood out, I was able to read most of the New Testament. The one thing that just time and time again stood out to me, I saw clearly the incredible high value that God places on relationships. 
our relationship with him, but also our relationship with one another. I mean, think about it. That's why he sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins, because he values nothing more than restoring an everlasting relationship with us based on the purest of love, for he is love. I was reminded as well that salvation belongs to God and God alone. It doesn't matter what I think, what you think, what anyone else thinks. He has declared there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. The last experience I'll mention before getting into the text comes from being alone each day with the Lord. I would, before everybody else got up, I would get my Bible and coffee and I'd go out and sit, sit outside and it was fun to bundle up and I, I, it was like fall. It was just awesome. And just to spend time with the Lord, no agenda. I didn't have to bring any burdens or any no text messages of the latest, who's this, who's that, what's this going on? Just me and the Lord. And I know that sounds very selfish, but it was wonderfully still and peaceful in my soul. I embodied the lyrics to an old chorus we used to sing. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. That was the highlight of sabbatical for me. Spending time with the Lord and allowing him to search the deep places of the heart. Have you been there? Have you been in the presence of the Lord and everything in your life quiets down, quiet down enough and it just kind of fades long enough that you can feel him searching deeper than the way things appear, looking into your heart. You see, Jesus looks beyond the circumstances, beyond the chaos, beyond the storms of our life and the stuff that we bring before him. And he sees our heart. We find he did this throughout the gospels. And he looked into the hearts of the Pharisees. He looked into the hearts of his disciples. And all who came to him, he looked into their hearts. And I believe he's here today, looking into hearts. There's one young man in particular that I want us to look at today. He's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. I'm going to read it first from the New King James Version that gives you one flavor over here. And I want you to taste the flavor of that passage in the message. So this is the New King James Version. Now behold, one came and said to him, 
Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell all what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now listen to it in the message. Another day. I like to think it was the dog days of August. Just another day out on the dusty road. A man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, what in particular? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then, will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. Heavenly Father, I pray today for the anointing of your spirit to be upon your word, to be upon your servant. Holy Spirit, you've given me this word today for someone here. Only you know the hearts, Lord. So now I pray that you would help me, but help those who listen today. Amen. Mark and Luke also record this story of the rich young man. And they shed a bit more light on him. There's a couple things that we find that we don't see in Matthew. First, he's identified as a ruler. Most likely, he's one of the rulers in a synagogue because he's devoted to observing the law and has knowledge of the 316 commandments in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch's the first five books of the Old Testament. Mark also notes this rich young ruler ran to Jesus. He ran up to Jesus. He fell on his knees, indicating his submission to an even greater authority. Good teacher, what must I do? What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? This young man's greeting resonated with Jesus. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. See, without realizing who Jesus really was, 
This man swerved into the truth. But the man was so concerned about doing the right things to get to heaven, he had no clue that he was kneeling in the presence of God. However, he believed Jesus could answer the question that most people wonder about. How am I going to get to heaven? What have I got to do to be saved? Why come to Jesus with that question? I thought about that this week. As I thought about this young man. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Had this young man heard that Jesus walked on water and calmed the sea? Was he in the crowd that day when, when the loaves and the fish were multiplied? And, and did he taste a miracle? Maybe he witnessed a blind man seeing, or a lame man walking, or a cleansed leopard leaping, or a mute man speaking. Or maybe he knew the family of the little girl who was raised from the dead. We don't know what this young man may have seen, but we can be assured that he heard of the miracles of Jesus because they were widely known throughout Judea. If anyone had the answer to salvation, he believed it was Jesus. A lot of people who identify themselves as Christians today are, are like this young man. They believe Jesus because they've heard about him. They, they've heard that he, he died for their sins and, and that's about the extent of their faith. They fall short like this young ruler. Barna's latest research on the church in America bears this out. The bottom, the elders, that's anybody older than the boomers, okay? 83% check the box. They're Christian. 37% actually follow Christ. Boomers, a little bit. 80%, 30% follow. Gen X, 73% identify as Christian, but only 26% follow. When you get to the millennials, 64% will identify as being Christian, but only 22% follow Christ. Roughly, only a third of those who profess faith in Jesus actually follow him. I don't know if these percentages surprise you or not. Probably not. You probably know somebody at work, or somebody in the neighborhood or something. They, they say they're a Christian or maybe they go to church somewhere on Sunday, but you know, you've been on the receiving end. You know that's not Jesus coming out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? These percentages have remained the same since they started keeping data decades ago. But it's encouraging to note that as the generations age, so if you were to look at the boomers 20 decades ago, they would be closer to like the millennials as far as percentages. As the generations age, 
the percentages of those who believe increases and those who follow Christ increase as well. It reminds me of Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But there are two alarming trends in the American church today that's never been seen before. The first one's with the millennials. They are less willing to share their faith and think. They think it is wrong to do so. First generation to actually think it is wrong to share Christ with someone. Now, this is a blanket statement, so it's not every millennial, okay? So don't, don't poke someone next to you and say. But the trend is they're less willing to share their faith and they think it's wrong to do so. The second thing that's been alarming in the research, the Gen Xs, those are today's teenagers, they are identifying more with atheists than any past generation in their teens. Something's desperately wrong. God help us to reach our children and youth. But a lot of people have the mindset of the rich young ruler. And I think this is why church attendance has dropped and yada, yada, yada. They had this mindset that if I just do enough good things, then I'll make it to heaven. That sound familiar? Jesus went along with the young man to lead him to his point of faulty thinking. He says, all right, if you want to obtain eternal life and keep the commandments, which ones? Can, can you believe the audacity of this young guy? Well, which ones? I don't think the man was trying to be cheeky with Jesus because he approached the Lord with the utmost respect. He was sincere. And maybe his youthfulness was, was creeping in and showing a little bit. I remember, uh, I shouldn't pick on the kids, but John Thompson, I won't pick on you. I'll pick on your sister since she's not in here. But any of you parents, you've got a child and, and like the floor is just scattered full of toys. What do you say? Pick up your toys. Which ones? Now that's, that's immaturity, isn't it? Right? Well, adults are a whole lot more mature, right? Obey the rules of the road. Which ones? Any speeders in here? Any texters in here? <laughs> Which ones? I would love to know what was going through Peter's mind in that moment. Peter always had something to say. I'm surprised he kept his mouth shut. But if I had to guess, I bet he's thinking, idiot. When God gives a command, you keep it. All of them. But Jesus looked past the absurd question and saw the man's sincerity. So he lists five of the Ten Commandments. And interesting enough, they all deal with relationships with other people. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not, shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. 
And then the sixth commandment Jesus gave sums up all the other Old Testament, those 613, all those other Old Testament commandments that don't concern our relationship with God, but our relationship with others. He sums it up with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And like I said, up, up to this point, at least in scripture, the disciples have been silent. They haven't said a word. But they have to be wondering, what is Jesus up to? Why only six and not the Ten Commandments? And Jesus, why tell him to keep what you've already taught us was impossible to keep? Remember what Jesus said? If you have a hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already what? Don't make me look it up in scripture now. Come on. I know somebody reads their Bible here. If you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already what? Well, sin, yeah, but you've committed murder. I heard that out there. What about the one, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed what? Adultery. These are impossible to keep, Jesus. Why, why would you tell him that? You've told us it's impossible. But the young man is pleased with the list Jesus gave him. And he says, hey, all these things I have kept from my youth. Pretty proud of myself. Imagine the reaction of the disciples. Remember James and John, what their nickname were, was? Sons of Thunder? I can see them whispering maybe to Peter saying, you better step back. Fire's going to fall from heaven. The other James gave us the book of James. He's just standing there biting his tongue. Bartholomew, he gives a man a fake smile. You know, you know what that is. John Thomas, you give that to me every now and then. You got one on right now. I love it, son. Thank you. He just kind of, you know what a fake smile is, right? And Thomas, he has this look of disbelief. But Jesus, Jesus stares at the young man with those eyes. You ever have someone just look you straight in the eye and you feel like they are looking into your soul? That's what Jesus does. He just stares at him. He looks at the young man. And all of a sudden, the doubt and the anxiety this young man had to begin with, it drove him to run to Jesus all of a sudden, it's there again. And that feeling inside that something is missing. And so he says, what else do I need to do? Now Mark records that in this moment, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. He loved him. That's more than just pity. It's a pure unadulterated, unconditional love. That's the kind of love I found when I was, found Jesus 36 years ago. My heart was stained and dark with sin. I wasn't nearly as righteous as this young man. But the love Jesus cast in my darkness, his love has held me captive ever since. He loves you. 
He sees you and he loves you. Maybe someone listening is bound by the darkest of sin. I'm telling you, Jesus looks at you with the purest of love. He can break your chains and he can set you free. But you have to accept his love and you have to walk in obedience to his command and follow him. Jesus said to the young man, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and and then come follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, up until now, this man thought things were okay. Yeah, he sensed he was missing something and he wasn't quite sure what to do. He made the right decision in seeking the answer. But in the end, he thought he would be fine because he was a good person who tried to do good things. Do you know anyone like him? Someone who senses something is missing in their life, but they're not sure what. And maybe they've tried church or they've, they listen to so-and-so because that person makes them feel better about themselves. And they believe because they're basically a good person and they do good things that, that they're going to make it into heaven. You see, so far, everything Jesus has said affirmed the young man's life up to this point. In the Jewish culture, you have to understand it. In the Jewish culture, this man was viewed as highly favored by God. Highly favored by God. He was obedient to the law. And in the Old Testament, part of keeping a law would include giving alms to the poor. And so that wasn't anything new that Jesus was asking him to do, give to the poor. He was used to that. And he supported the synagogue with his tithe and his offerings. He kept the law. And the fact that he was prospering with land and wealth, well, that's evidence of God's blessing and God's promise in in Deuteronomy. He was living the Israeli dream. Young, healthy, successful, wealthy, prestigious, Whatever else he had to do to ensure he added heaven to that list, to his blessed life, he was ready to hear it, or so he thought. Sell everything you've got, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. Say what? Sell what? Give what? I would lose my wealth, my prestige, my job, the position in the community, all those, the blessings of God, the life I've worked so hard to make would be over. Seriously, Jesus, I would have to give up my life to follow you. I would have to give up my life to follow you. It's easy to get sidetracked by the man's wealth and I purposely didn't read the rest of the story after the man left with the disciples and everything. You can read that for yourself. 
But in so reading it, it's easy to get sidetracked because he was rich. Because when he walked away, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And then he makes this bold statement, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And so we get hung up just like the disciples because they were like, it's impossible. It's impossible then. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. Are you seeing the point with man? It's impossible. But he goes on to say, but with God, all things are possible. And so we get hung up on the riches and we lose sight of the truth. It's impossible for man to save himself, rich or poor. It's impossible. But with God, it is possible for man to be saved. So before you write off the rich, you better add your name to the list. Any rich people in here today? Oh, I know in our culture, it's embarrassing. You don't want to say that because we'll come tax you to death, right? Or worse. But is there anyone rich in here today? Ah, man, come on. I should be seeing hands all over the place. You're all rich compared to most of the world. In fact, you're filthy rich. Anyone in here had to decide what to wear this morning? You had to make a choice what to put on this morning. I know it's so tough. You got all the different options, right? You had to decide. You're rich. If you have food in your fridge, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. If you have a fridge, you're rich. If you've got food in the fridge, you're rich. If you drove here this morning and didn't walk, you're rich. If when you go home, wait a minute, you have a home to go to? You're rich. You have electricity? You're rich. Air conditioning? Are you serious? You're filthy rich. So before you judge the rich, you need to look in the mirror and judge yourself. Would it surprise you to know there were believers wealthy enough to support Jesus and the disciples for three years as the itinerate ministry? No. Yeah, read the Gospels. And don't forget about Joseph of Arimathea. It's easy for you to say. The Gospel records his wealth. He was a wealthy follower of Jesus, a wealthy disciple, and he provided the tomb for Jesus' body. You see, wealth isn't the problem. I know there's a lot of scriptures and there's a lot of warnings, rightly so, but wealth isn't the problem. It's who owns it, you or God. Who owns your wealth, you or God? You say, but I'm not rich. Oh, no, 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 no. We just established you're filthy rich. We all are. So I can't let you off. But who owns your riches, you or God? You see, that's the issue. That's the issue. Well, there's two things I want us to 
to grapple with. And this is one of the shortest sermons I think I'm ever going to preach here. So uh, we're almost done. There's two issues at stake in this young man's story. It's the same two issues that we have to deal with. Salvation and lordship. Salvation and lordship. Let's remove the rich young ruler for just a moment, okay? Put somebody else in his place. I don't care if he's rich or poor, young or old, famous. Put Donald Trump if you want. I don't care. I hope I didn't just lose half the people. Um, who else is running? Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Sorry. Now nah, I just lost everybody. Okay. Forget. Don't put a politician here. It does not apply. Actually, it does. Put somebody who's known or somebody that's not. I'll tell you what. Put yourself in the story. Visualize coming to Jesus in all sincerity with the same question. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus looks at you and he gives you an answer in such a way that you feel pretty good. But there's something still missing. It's the what else. What else? When it comes to salvation, understand there is nothing you can do to earn eternal life. If you grew up in a legalistic family or a church, I'm going to set you free today. There is nothing you can do to earn eternal life. Nothing you can do. You remember what I said at the beginning? I said salvation belongs to God and God alone. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to bring about your salvation by your good works. You see, God is holy, and those who desire to enter into heaven must be holy. And our sin leaves us with no chance of doing anything to make us holy enough to get into heaven. Our best day, our best righteousness, as Scripture says, are like filthy rags compared to his. You see, sin has separated us from God and we can't do anything to bridge the gap. That's why we need a savior from above. Only God can make a way, which is why Jesus came down and took on the form of a man, yet without the sin of men. His sacrifice, his sacrificial death paid the penalty for our sin. And the power of God raised him from the dead. That same power is at work in those who believe and follow Jesus. God sent us the Savior. He sent us Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not a way, a truth, a life. I am the, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus' declaration is exclusive. I know it's not popular in our culture. It's exclusive. It's an eternal truth that's settled in heaven 
and on earth, regardless of how it makes people feel. Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. And this is a stumbling block for the rich young ruler and a lot of people who check the box under Christian. It's the Lordship of Jesus. See, believing that Jesus is good, he's the Savior, isn't enough. Bible says in James, even the demons what? Even the demons believe. You have to settle the issue of lordship. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation comes when we believe Jesus is Savior and we accept him as Lord. You can't divorce his lordship from his salvation. He's both Lord and Savior. You can't have one without the other any more than Jesus can have just a part of you, but not all of you. Well, Jesus, I'll come and I'll give you part of me. It doesn't work that way. It's not an either or proposition, a 50-50. I'll live 50% of the time for you. I'll live 50% of the time for myself. You see, the rich, rich young ruler's problem wasn't his possessions. It wasn't the fact that he had possessions. His problem was his possessions had him. And Jesus looked into the man's heart. And he knew the only way this young man was going to be free was to abandon his possessions and follow Jesus. This was this man's test of lordship. And he failed. He wasn't willing to give up his life and follow the Lord. What's your test of lordship? What has the Lord come to you with and said, you can't hold on to that and follow me? You've got to let that go so you can pick up your cross and follow me. What about you? Have you settled the issue of lordship? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And are you following him? Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Would you please stand? It's a miserable place to live, wanting Jesus to be your savior, but not your Lord. 
It's miserable like this young man. Yeah, Jesus has the answer. But there's a price to pay. Jesus paid the price for our sin. But he demands that you follow him. That you lay down your life, your selfish ambitions. You pick up your cross and you follow him. If you need to surrender everything in your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, why don't you do it as we sing this song? Jesus, you alone.